So when we go live, or we are live, we welcome all of you that have uh, joined us wherever you're at in the United States or around the globe. And those of you that will get this podcast sometime in the next few days that are working through the Bible with us when the Lord directs our attention to certain books. We're going to go back to the book of James tonight. We'll pick up back in chapter 1. We've got a lot of good things to tread through there. I don't know how far we'll get tonight, but we're going to spend, take some time and dissect some of this stuff so we can understand what the Lord's speaking to us. But first, for you that have joined us uh, through our YouTube channel <clears throat> tonight, I want to read to you this month's newsletter. For those of you that are on our mailing list, uh, you can, uh, you'll be getting this this week. It's already in the mail, I think. So, uh, the scripture I used was Romans 13, 11 through 14. If you remember just a few weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, this was quickened to me in one of the services. And so I read, I took you over there just for a couple of verses. But in Romans 13, 11 through 14, it says, And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry, which would be basically partying, and drunkenness, not in lewdness, and lust, not in strife and envy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. So, that's some pretty poignant, powerful words there given to us by the Holy Spirit in Romans. So, this is my commentary on those verses and things I feel like the Lord was showing me and saying in this moment. <clears throat> Usually I will quote one or two verses in these newsletters, but this month I've used these four out of Romans 13. I've had these verses quickened to me twice in the last month, I mentioned the other time, for the body of Christ. There is a lot being said here that is self-explanatory. Just taking these verses straightforward, it is a message to all of us. It is strong language with an intense warning and a call to awake. I do, however, want to point out a few things and bring them back to Jesus' teachings. Jesus spent a lot of words on warning his hearers and admonishing them to not be caught off guard. If you read the Gospels and things. In verse 11 of Romans 13, the thought of knowing the time is a question for the church, let alone the world. So we need to be knowing what time it is. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 4... That we should not be caught by surprise by the Lord's return. In other words, we should know what time it is. In Luke 21 and 36, Jesus told us to watch and pray so we would not be caught off guard on his return. In fact, the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew 25 is a clear message to all of us about being ready. In verse 13 of Romans 13, there's a clear call for us not to conduct ourselves like the world. And we'll see that again in James tonight. We are addressed specifically by the Holy Spirit to walk properly and to not involve ourselves in the works of the world and the flesh. In 2 Corinthians 6 and 17, the Bible tells us to come out from the world and to be separate and to not touch what is unclean. 
Clearly, God is concerned about our well-being and our witness. The final thing I would like to address is the phrase, Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Found in verse 14 of Romans 13. The world we live in, we find ourselves constantly being surrounded by opportunities for the flesh or the natural body. From media to persons to opportunities to desires and to instant gratification at whatever the cost or risk. We find ourselves bombarded with temptations and covetousness. The Holy Spirit is very specific here with the instruction to make no provision. So what does it mean to the modern believer? Jesus said in Matthew 18 that if our foot or hand or eye offends us or causes us to sin, we should remove it. The most successful Christians are not the people who think they are invincible, but the people who know their weaknesses and guard against them. An overcomer is someone who sees the pitfall and maybe that they have fallen into the pit, but they have learned how not to allow that thing or situation to be a part of their lives. In conclusion, I believe I have discovered a couple of things that keep us from abiding in these, that keep us from abiding in these four verses. The modern Christian, much like the world at large, does not want to deny themselves anything or any pleasure. This causes many struggles and problems in followers of Christ. Finally, I think the big attribute that has been shunned by most in modern church is sacrifice. It seems that so many of us are willing to sacrifice for almost anything that will further our natural lives, including our family's natural lives. But when it comes to our spiritual lives, we seem to find many reasons and excuses to relieve ourselves from making sacrifices for the Lord Jesus. Remember this. In verse 14, we are told to put on the Lord Jesus. Here he is called the Lord, which means ownership. Where are we wearing the Lord when we put him on? And remember, right now, it is time to wake up from our sleep. So you'll get this. You'll be able to go over it, read it. We'll have a test on it next Wednesday. <laughs> so I have run across the 18th person <clears throat> that's had a dream or a vision about the Lord returning. <clears throat> Pam gave me one, made the 16th, and then somebody else gave me one, and then one of the guys in the satellite had two of them and had them back to back. And this, these are interesting because here's the setting for that. He said he knew the community he was in in the first dream, and he saw a few people going up. He said it reminded him of how sometimes like a whirlpool look, like people were just going up, in the rapture going to heaven. He said just a few days later he had another dream, a follow-up dream in the same community. He was in the same community. And he said there was a large truck, <clears throat> bigger than a pickup truck, a large truck with a large man in the truck like a Goliath type guy, bigger than any human. And then another man was in the truck who was green. And then the truck was filled with people screaming, saying, help us, we're going to hell. 
And what was interesting about those two dreams was that they were in the same community. That's significant. Because there's a few people will leave out of those communities when the rapture takes place, but a lot of people are headed to hell in that same community. Now, that's a word to all of us. You got people in your community, in your family trees, in your circle of influence. There's some of them that are ready, but there's a lot of them that's going to hell. We all know that. And listen, talk's cheap. I'm not talking about the person that went to vacation Bible school 30 years ago. I'm talking about the people that are followers of Christ. Are you a follower of Christ? And how many people in your circle are actually followers of Christ? And then the green guy represents significance. If you go to the book of Revelation, the first horse is chlorophyll. Green represents death. So those people were headed toward the second death. And the few were headed to heaven. And they are all in the same community. So that we got to understand at your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood, in your family, wherever you're at, there are people going the wrong direction. And it's high time for us to wake up and know that the night is far spent, that our salvation is nearer than when we first believed Jesus is coming. And we need to be diligent about sharing the gospel. Can you say amen? Amen. All right, let's go to the book of James, chapter 1. Let's pick up in verse 21 and uh, see what the Lord has to say to us. And this is similar to the newsletter there because he told us to make no provision for the flesh, right? Uh, walk properly, no reverie, no drunkenness, uh, no lewdness, lust, strife, and envy. So in verse 21 of James 1, similar language, he says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness, overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, I thought this is interesting because if you, if you get on YouTube, you'll find about 12 teachings, and I, I recommend you do this, uh, that the Holy Spirit really helped me with. And you're going to find... The teaching on the soul, the spirit, and the body. All of us, we are all triune vessels. We have a body, we have a soul, and we have a spirit. That spirit is dormant until the Holy Spirit comes into us and we're born again. Then our spirit comes to life. The soul is where your mind and your will and your emotions are seated. The Bible says our minds are renewed, according to Romans, with the Word of God, right? So this is what he's talking about. We talked about this verse a little bit last week. I talked about this last part, but I didn't encompass the whole verse and dissect it like we want to right now. The implanted word, the Greek word for implanted is enthutos, words that have been deposited. I think last week I talked about how if you don't put money in an account, you can't draw anything out. So the same is true of our spiritual life. If we don't deposit God's Word inside of us, we're not going to have anything to draw with. And when the enemy shows up, that's the thing we need the most, right? Is God's Word. Because what did Jesus do when the devil showed up? Three times the devil tempted him. Three times he did what? He drew out the Word of God. It's called the sword, right? And so that you and I have to have the Word of God to combat the enemy. He's not going to feel sorry for us. He's not going to back off. He, he, we got to use the Word of God. So if you and I don't make deposits 
into our lives with God's Word, we're not going to have stuff to fend off or fight off the enemy. So that's what he's talking about. This deposited Word, he says, which is able to save your souls. And sometimes soul and spirit are used interchangeably, but let me just talk about them both distinct for a moment. Your mind is what needs to be renewed. Your mind, my mind, we need them saved, renewed because there's constant. And we're in the generation where there's more coming at us than any generation before. It's not that there's nothing new under the sun because the Bible's clear and we understand that. There's nothing new under the sun. There's just far more avenues to get it at us. All right? They may have drawn or wrote on the cave walls, but there's far more avenues for things to come at us. There's not new things. The devil's always been tripping up people with the same things. Envy, pride, lust, greed, uh, anger, murder, all that stuff. But he, there's far more avenues to keep our minds loaded up with it. Now, sometimes, usually once a year, I'll go stay at the monastery. And the reason I go stay at the monastery is so I, because you're not allowed to talk. And the only voice I can hear for those five days is the Holy Spirit. And usually I'll write a notebook or two full of things that I'm just hearing. Spend time in the Word, spend time in prayer. <clears throat> but I, sometimes, a few times, I've, I've gained an audience with one of those monks. And they'll share some stuff with me sometimes because they've seen me come up enough. Some of them recognize me. And sometimes they'll share. Well, I've even had some of them hand off a prayer request or two to me. Uh, and, and so I just want to kind of, I love to hear what makes people tick. I like to listen to people get interviewed that, and find out what makes them tick. And sometimes if I get a chance, I like to be the interviewer. <laughs> and so, <clears throat> but the, they said the reason they have one newspaper and now they have a computer. It was, for years they didn't even have a computer, but it, it, for the computer, you're only allowed to spend just a few minutes a day on it. And most of them don't even do that. But uh, you have a time limit because they don't want your time to be infringed with. But one of the, the monks told me, he said, the reason we structure ourselves like this is because we're trying to cut down on the traffic that comes into our minds. They said, he, they said we believe the world or people are trying to process way too much information. And it keeps them bogged down, <clears throat> distracted, distressed, discouraged, because they're trying to take in too much information. They said, God did not design us like that. They said, we, we need to, we do practice that here, and we wish others would practice learning how to be still. And so he, they, and then one of the guys, probably the oldest guy there, he was in his 90s, he asked me, he said, Brother Robbins, this is back when all this came about. He said, Brother Robbins, will you pray for us here? And I said, yeah, I'll pray for you. I said, is there anything specific? He said, yeah, we brought a computer in. And it's changing the dynamic. So they're set aside there, and I'm not here to argue for monks or which ones are the good ones and maybe there's I don't know <clears throat> but what I'm saying is we got to guard against trying to process too much information right and and feeling like the world wants to process all that information with us right I don't need to know if you're at Walmart 
I don't care. <laughs> I don't know, need to know if you found a good deal on toilet paper. I don't care. So, you know, we just keep throwing all that in. You know, sometimes we can get so distracted. So this Word of God, and that's what the beauty of it, not only will it bring us salvation eternally, right? Jesus is the Word made flesh. But it'll keep that mind in shape. Our minds need to be kept in shape. Because there's so much bombardment, and I talked about being bombarded in that newsletter. So many things that bombard our minds, right? And so sometimes God has trouble getting things in there because we're so trafficked. We're so trafficked and we're trying to process too much information. So then he says, that's deposited word, right? And then he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. So someone who hears the word and don't do it, they fall into deception, right? Because if you hear the truth and you, don't, you turn away from it or do not practice it, you're going into deception. That's what he's saying there. So it's not good enough just to hear the word. We got to be doers of the word, right? The Bible says in Ephesians, I believe, uh, hold your spot there and let's go over there real quickly to Ephesians. It's, it's in chapter 2. Let me see if I can find the verse I'm looking for <clears throat> in Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, <clears throat> I'm looking here. Talks about how uh, we were saved for good works. Does anybody know which verse that is? Uh, verse 10. Okay. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So you and I are not just supposed to come and hear what God has to say. We're supposed to practice what he has to say, right? In fact, one of them that's kind of poignant, I think, is blessed are the peacemakers. Notice he didn't say peacekeepers. It's a lot easier to keep peace than it is to make peace. Somebody who's a peacemaker has to wade into that junk, right? Blessed are the peacemakers. Read those Beatitudes and see how they're... Uh, a progressive walk of a believer and think about them in the context of what God's offering you to partner with Him, right? He's offering you to be a receiver of divine favor. That's what the word blessed means, markarios. But then He offers us also rewards, right? As we partner with Him and do what He asks us to do. He's not going to ask you to do something that He's not going to give you and I the strength to do it. So he says, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. And that's, that's how ridiculous, you know, that sounds ridiculous, right? And it is. <laughs> that's the point he's trying to make. It's ridiculous to hear the truth and turn away from it. Because there's nowhere else to go. And so it's really foolish to hear God's truth and just turn a deaf ear to it. That's what Pharaoh did in Exodus, right? He, he knew who God was. And the reason we understand that is because of the word he used to, to call up, uh, to name him, let us know he knew who God was. He just didn't want to hear it. He didn't want to cooperate. And so God said, okay, you refuse me, I'll just use you that way. Hard and hard. That's a, that's a scary thought. 
for somebody to continually reject God and God say, okay, I'll just use you that way since you refuse me. And so he says, he says, it's not anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer. He's like a man that, that goes away and forgets why. And none of us do that, right? But that's how ridiculous, that's why this comparison's being made. You can, and I've had this happen. Many of you have had it happen probably. Somebody's pulled out a picture from when they were in grade school, and now they've been out of grade school for 45 or 60 years, and they, you can't pick them out, Right? I, don't, I can't tell. What, and they can, though. They know what they look like then, right? They know they look like a hippie back then. <laughs> oh, I'm tempted to tell a joke right there. <laughs> Sister Mary gave me this joke. <laughs> she loves them. Yeah, she loves a good joke. She wants me to tell her one all the time. I'll tell you later. <laughs> so he says... Uh, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, which is God's word, and continues in it, is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. You remember the illustration Jesus gave? He said a guy had two sons, and he said one of them, or he told both of them to go work in the field. One of them said, I'll go, and the other one said he wouldn't. But when the day was over, the one that said he would go didn't go, and the one that said he wouldn't go reconsidered and wound up going and working. So that's how we're just, right, he, he actually obeyed. He actually went, even though he started not to. And the other one, he didn't follow through, right? So it's, it's clear the message is being sent to us here. He said, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, it is... It, and it is not, and is not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. What a word. Right there. You hear God's word and you apply yourself to it. You're going to get blessed. That's what he's saying. Now, it's important for you to have the word in you, like he said in verse 21, because the devil is going to come to your house. He is. He's going to show up at your pad. And at my place, he's going to bring opportunities for you to go against God. So you're going to need that word in there to deal with that when he, when he shows up. And don't be messing with him. Don't give him any time of day. That's where Eve went wrong. She knew the truth. She dropped it to the ground. And when the devil showed up, he challenged that. And he, she should have said, that's exactly right. We're not going to eat of that tree. God told us not to. But she wallowed around, and the Bible says, he calls, the Hebrew says, he calls me to forget. Just for a moment. The more jawing and listening to the devil we do, the more he's going to talk us down. And we're going to start letting things slide. That's how this works. So don't give him that airtime. And here's what I can guarantee you just about most of the time. When you get something from God, the devil's going to show up and show you something that's just the opposite of that and try to get you to back down. He wants you to back down, right? And so the prophet's out there with the young guy, and, and the prophet's standing firm with God. The young guy's he's afraid because he sees the enemy. And the prophet says, Lord, open his eyes and let him see what's really going on. And he saw the mountains of fire with the presence of the angels. So you know, God, we got to trust God even when what we see is the opposite of what his word says. That's how the enemy tricks us, right? And so he's going to be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks 
he is religious, this is a tough one. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but, de but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless or vain. That's how the King James says. I think about that. He's, he says, if anyone among you, so he's talking to the church, thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart. So the person who does not bridle their tongue is deceiving themselves. And he says, this one's religion is useless or vain. Now, here's what it Here's what that word means. Mateos is the Greek word for vain. And it means fruitless, powerless, and void of a result. Void of a result. So he's trying to teach us. Paul said, don't be a busybody. He tells us to pray for those who are caught up in sin. He tells us to pray for our leaders he, you know, there's so much in there that we could be doing uh, rather than letting our tongue just fly off. And we all we're all challenged with that, you know, uh, not to just let our tongue do whatever. And then he says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble... And to keep, one's, keep oneself spotted from the world. Now here's what I want you to do as you read your Bible. And especially your New Testament. When you're told to do something. You need to do it. It's not optional. We're, we're vested in this ministry. <clears throat> with things we're told to do. If they're, if they're laid out in, chip, in, in chapter and verse. There's no ambiguity there. So, we're told to help orphans and widows. We do that. We're heavily invested. We're told to bless Israel. We do that. We're heavily invested. We're told to watch and pray. Right? As individuals. When you read your New Testament, whatever you're told to do, try to step into it. Try to step into it. Uh, and eat, read the word, renew your mind with the word, step into those moments. And he says it's to visit the orphans and widows in their trouble and keep oneself unspotted from the world. So we're going back to verse 21, go back to the newsletter there, keep oneself unspotted. Keeping, and this is interesting, because there's this sentiment, here's what happened. There's been major shifts in this country um, for some of it's been inside the church some of it's been out in the world and some of them they've went together for instance uh, I read an article years ago and it wasn't a Christian article it was a secular article and it said you could tell a difference in America the day the Beatles landed on the shore the whole context of how rock and roll would be pursued and what things would come out of that shifted. There's been an era shift in America. 
that we went from uh, before the 60s and probably maybe before the 50s, there was really no debate that sex went with marriage between a man and a woman. But after the 60s, they uncoupled morality from sex outside of marriage, and you see where we're standing today. There's been major shifts, all right? Inside the church, a shift happened. Because of, you might say, certain groups and even certain denominations, when people came to the church and they felt like they had to be perfect. And I don't know how many people, even people in, in our own ministry here, that left the church in a season in their life because they just didn't feel like they could live it. And so they were made to feel, you could take this all the way back to the Puritans and then denominations coming up the line to where people thought they had to be perfect. And if they couldn't be perfect, they might as well not even try. And so that shift in the church finally, and that's, what, that's where we lost that hippie generation. Because they came to our church, churches in trouble and they didn't look like we thought they should. And I'm not saying you and I fell into that. But they didn't look the part and they didn't. And instead of bringing them in and trying to teach them the word of God, they just felt rejected and we lost a whole generation. And now they're the ones that are out there making all these bad decisions that we see. Because they came to our churches and they got turned away. So here's what happened. The church panicked. I'm not saying that's why God raises up ministries to get things in balance and to, be cor to correct some things. I understand God's always got people. Don't, don't miss time. I'm talking about the thing at large. So what the church did said, oh my goodness. What have we done? Here's what happened. The people that put the pressure on the other people to be perfect neglected to tell them they weren't perfect. Yeah, maybe they did. you're right. Some of them did think they were. They're like the Pharisee. So what the church did is they said, oh my goodness, that pendulum's too far over here. And instead of swinging it down here in balance, they took it all the way over here. Now in many churches, anything's okay. See what happens? We overcompensate, we overreact, and those shifts come, and bam, now the church is over here where it don't matter what you do, who you are, how you act, or what kind of sin you practice, it's all okay. A lot of churches have fallen into that. And now that shift came and he says, but we're commanded. Do you see what he said? We're commanded to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. What does that mean? If you can't be perfect and you can't just live however you want to, what does that mean? I found something out that I hadn't found before when I studied this word unspotted. This word is aspilos, aspilos. Aspilos is the Greek word for unspotted, and it, it has moral understanding with it, and it's talking about the lamb that's being, it's, it's reference to the sacrificial lamb, bringing the proper lamb to the sacrifice. Uh, but it's keeping, now listen to this, this is the power of the meaning, this is that meaning, keeping a commandment without alteration. Now, let me tell you what that means. Because I think this, this is a revelation to me and I hope it is to you. We're, 
if you're going to live long enough, you're going to miss the mark. That's what sin is. Harmatia, it means to miss the mark. You're going to let a commandment go by. You're not going to do something you've been told to do, or you're going to do something you've been told not to do, right? We're going to miss the mark at times. So how do you reconcile that with what the Holy Spirit's saying here, keeping yourself unspotted from the world? It's a commandment without alteration. Here's, here's who the true believers are. They're the people that when they sin, when they break a commandment, they don't alter it. They don't try to make it okay. They say, I was wrong. I sinned. We're all going to miss the mark. That's, but we got to be those people that say, well, this is how I am. So I don't receive what the Bible said. That, that's not the followers of Christ. The followers of Christ saying, okay, I fell into that, but that's wrong and I'm going to repent for it. I'm not going to change the Bible to fit me. I'm going to change me to fit the Bible. Amen. Somebody ought to give the Lord praise for that. So that's what he's talking about there. You, you and I are not perfected yet, but we're on the way. When we see him, we shall be like him. But we are the people who do not alter the truth to satisfy our own lust. That's got to be us. We got to be the people that say God's word is true even when I miss it. Right? There's no grace in that. You can't have grace if you're going to constantly excuse yourself. You, don't, you and I don't just mess up or, or do a boo-boo. We sin. When we do go against God, we sin. But the good news is there's atonement for that. It's already been provided. So if you just change the words of God or reject them so you can continue to live in sin, you're not experiencing grace. There is no grace there. You're experiencing long-suffering because the Lord may be keeping the enemy from destroying you, hoping or giving you a chance for your eyes to be open. But the grace is where you say, I am. What, what did he say? Two guys were at the altar. One come up there and said, I'm a sinner. I need help. And the other one said, I thank God I'm not like the sinner. And he was just like him. Worse. Who went away justified, Jesus said. The one that called it like it was and refused to alter it to fit his own needs. That's what he's saying there. He's saying these people who do not alter the commands or the truths of God, they stay there. And even when you and I miss the mark, we don't water it down and say, well, it's okay. We say, no, I missed the mark. I sinned. I need to repent. Because this is the truth. So, that's what it means to keep yourself unspotted from the world. My brethren, let me see how far along I am. My brethren, do not hold faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, you stand there or you sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And the church fell into that years ago, right? A lot of churches fell into that, uh, of just treating people like that. And I'm, uh, this is, uh, 
a sad commentary. A friend of mine was in a church years ago when the hippies were alive and well. And a guy who really wasn't a hippie, he was a Vietnam vet, and his hair was a little too long for the liking of the preacher. And the preacher had no idea what he was doing, but he started basically condemning the guy. Found out after a church he was a blind Vietnam vet. Coming looking for a little hope in life and got run off. And we'll be responsible for stuff like that. People will. Paul said, be not many masters knowing you receive the greater judgment. Paul said, be careful what foundation you build on. And build on it with God's word. But there are situations like that where people have been abused. Not abused maybe be a strong word. But turned away because they didn't look apart or whatever. And then there are people who are full of dead men's bones. But they looked apart. And they're excused. Right? So one of the preachers in our group was telling us about a guy he was friends with in Louisiana and this pastor had been sent there and he started preaching the truth and the guys come to him they say if you don't quit preaching like that we're going to leave the church and they were people who supported the church heavily so he said well I can't stop preaching what God's telling the word of God you know and so he got up one Sunday morning and all of them had left. And he said, uh, and think about this whole scenario because it applies right here. He said he was grieved. He thought, how's the church going to survive? This, that, and other. So he preached his sermon. They took up an offering. And there was a $1,000 check in that offering. And he, did, he had no idea where that could have come from. Sunday night preached again same day another thousand dollar check in that offering <clears throat> Wednesday night preached same thing another thousand dollar check in that offering finally he said there was only one new guy and he said he looked like a drug dealer and so he called him in and he said the preacher said listen man he said I don't know who you are or where you're getting your money from he said, but you're going to go broke trying to keep this church up. <laughs> and the guy said, hey, man, he said, I just got saved a couple of weeks ago. And he said, I own a trucking company. And he said, all I'm doing is paying my tithes. <laughs> so God has a way of taking care of us, right? He, was get, he thought he was a drug dealer. He said he just didn't look the right part. So we got to be careful. Those are two extremes, right? The Vietnam vet that got run off, the other guy. Who, but we got to be careful and not judge people by the outward appearance, right? That's not how God judges anybody. He judges us on the inside, right? And then he says, <clears throat> you, uh, Listen, my beloved brother, has God, God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? So it is true that there is a, seems to be a, it's a, a greater hardship 
for people who have the means to do a lot of things uh, to not live by faith like somebody who does not. But I, let me say something to that. There are a lot of people who came through hard times. And they may be blessed now, but they remember where they came from. And so they're continuing to live in faith. So there's no, this, is not, there's, there's, this is not a rule necessarily that somebody who's blessed can't live by faith. But the challenges are there if you have the means. Uh, so we got to guard and make sure that our faith is still our primary, primary uh, thing in front of us. He says, the poor in this world are rich in faith, heirs, and he promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not rich oppress you and drag you into courts. Do they not blaspheme the noble name by which you are called? And I was thinking about that today. We're having a discussion about, Chad and I were about how sometimes rich people, uh, ultra rich people can just buy things and not care what it costs just for the power, right? They gobble up these smaller companies and uh, things because they may pay way more than what it's worth, but it gives them more power, more authority. And that's my concern. I don't care that people got money and rich. I don't care about that at all. But the problem that some folks, especially the ones that don't honor God and follow the Lord, is that's the problem. That, that wealth turns into power for them. And they use that in an evil way. And we see that with all this child trafficking and things like that. People who have uh, ability and, and that are in high places like Paul talks about in Ephesians 6, not only does that mean spiritual things, but in the Greek, that's governmental. So it has, it has tentacles in the governments of the world. And we see that, right? We see how people can get so much authority and power and financial wealth that they, they get involved in things and they do such wickedness and evil because they feel like, and maybe they are to some degree in this life, above the law. Right. You know, there's a lot of horrendous things that go on in our culture. But it, it bothers me to, for them to act like the rest of us are stupid. That's what really bothers me. You know, with this Epstein fellow who was a child trafficker, uh, they want the rest of us to believe that they just so happened to move that guard out. They just so happened that both guards were asleep at the same time. And it just so happened that that video camera was not working. They want the rest of us to believe those lies. Somebody's not wanting stuff to come out. And they're in, that's a horrendous thing for the rest of us to buy into. It makes, us, makes me feel like they think the rest of us are stupid when they come off with stuff like that. And I know there's a million examples of stuff like that that's government and hierarchy with rich folks that are into evil things. But it's just horrific what people can get into. And that's my concern. I don't care how much money somebody has. But my bigger concern is what they do with their power and how they treat people. And that's the challenge James has given us here. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well, but if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law and the transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. He who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. 
So that, that's what we say in, from time to time. That if you break the law in one section, you've broke the whole law. It doesn't matter what area you break it in. So if you break the law in one section, you've broke the whole law. That's why we say there's no really big or little sins when it comes to the eyes of God. All sin is sin. Now, there are sins that bring worse consequences in this life. But when you're dealing with God, all sin is sin. And so if you're going to love your neighbor as yourself, and if you study the word neighbor in the Greek, it is anybody within your proximity of reach. So it doesn't just have to be somebody that lives across the street from you or on either side of your home. But somebody, and I've used this illustration a lot because of Stephen in Africa, right? <clears throat> and I'm so thankful for everybody that's, that made that happen. We spent six years sending that money to make, the, to make his son a doctor. He's now a doctor, and that is such a blessing to them. But we also feed them and do a lot of other things for them. But we have the ability to touch them. We have the ability to reach them. So your neighbor is somebody within your circle that you have the ability to affect. And that's, that's what he's talking about. So then he says, so if you understand that it doesn't matter what part of the law you break, you break the whole law. He says, so speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. And mercy triumphs over judgment. I'm going to stop there and I'm going to give you this last illustration. Some of you have heard me tell this before, but it's such a powerful illustration. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So the next time you, you feel like not showing mercy to somebody, just close your eyes for a moment and remember how much mercy God's given you. That may change your approach. But uh, some of you have heard me share this, but years ago when the America was first coming together in one of the little townships, somebody was stealing from everybody. And so... Uh, they made stocks and they put out a decree that whoever was caught, when they caught them, they're going to lock them in those stocks and they're going to take the whip on them. They're going to whip them publicly. And so this went on for a little while and the little mayor of that town, finally somebody come in and said, hey, we've caught the, caught the thief. And uh, the mayor said, well, good. He said, let's take them to the stocks. He said, well, there's a problem. And he said, what's the problem? They said, the, the thief is your mother. So the mayor's there, right? I mean, he can't show favoritism. He's got to, if he's going to have any kind of authority at all, he's got to flog his own mother. I'd be like, Mom, what are you doing? <laughs> so he says, let's go through with it. So they take her out to the stocks, lock her, and uh, the guy with the whip's getting ready to pull the whip back and and just before he lays the whip on his mother's back, the mayor lays across his mother's back and takes her stripes for her. That's love. I've been like, Mom, you shouldn't have done that. That's love, isn't it? That's what Jesus did for us. Mercy triumphs over judgment. All of us should have been judged but somebody took our stripes for us. Somebody took our beating. Somebody carried our 
cross. That was our cross. Mercy will triumph over judgment. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and mercy. We do. Help us to remember that mercy. Help us to remember that this month we're in, this season, is about the greatest gift of all. You, we celebrate you coming to this earth to die in our place. It's the greatest gift. That's what we're celebrating here. And we just pray that that will be in our minds and hearts, Lord, as we go forward. We ask you to watch over us, help us to do your will, forgive us of our transgressions, and help us to be the people who do not alter the truth. And help us to be the people that are waking up because the night is far spent. May we be faithful as you've been faithful in Jesus' name. Everybody said. Thank you.